Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Today, we've got Steve Rush on the show. Steve is the principal broker and owner of Next Home Realty Connection in Portland. He will talk to us about building up a team of brokers and the benefits and pitfalls of managing your own franchise. He also shares with us how to create a win-win situation for your team members and a culture that motivates each and every one to stay. So let's welcome Steve Rush. All right. Today, we've got Steve Rush on with us. Steve is a principal broker and owner of two franchises of Next Home Realty. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show today. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe how you got started in real estate? Sure. Thanks for having me. I've been at this for about 25 years. Got started working for my ex-father-in-law. Pretty much, I mean, before I was a realtor, got started doing some management for his portfolio. So he had a lot of uh, real estate properties that I would help manage and help do some general contracting on. And then I'd say general, because I can barely swing a hammer. But after that, he had introduced me into becoming a real estate agent and working with him directly as a, as a team member. And then you know, for the rest of the rest of my time, I've worked with a couple of different brokerages and worked for a corporate company that solely invested in out-of-state real estate for their, their clients. And after that, grew my own team and decided to go on my own. And that's where I'm at right now, next time. That's awesome. That's a great progression. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> a long, long one. Yeah. Right. I was going to ask when you got started in kind of like managing properties or getting in with your, your family, like, did you do anything before that? Or like, what was the kind of inflection point in which you went into real estate? Well, so obviously I found that my calling was not going to be, you know, the general contractor part. But I did enjoy managing, but I was not a licensed property manager. So essentially all I was doing is a leasing agent. So, and I, no, I did not wake up one day and say, I want to be a realtor, but I did, you know, wake up as a, as a young person. My, my grandfather also owned a lot of real estate. So I knew that I wanted to invest in real estate. And so the next gradual step when he offered me a position to learn from him, it wasn't a job. It was more of a why don't I teach you the business side of real estate? You do come to me with perhaps a level of talent or skill set that he thought he could, he could work with. So no, I didn't understand real estate. I just knew that I wanted to get into it. And when I say at a young age, I was 23 years old, 23 years old at the time when I started doing that. And so that's kind of how I decided to, to jump into it with having a mentor to teach you. And I do think that that is something that's important in our industry that when you do jump into something that you have coaching or, you know, mentor apprentice sort of relationship that will, that will show you along the way, because in this industry, or even in just investing in real estate, it is not something that you can just do on your own and figure out 
the hard way. I mean, we're all still learning the hard way, but you learn it a lot faster when someone is saying, if you want to try that, you can, but we've tried it before and it doesn't work. Oh, thanks for saving a lot of time and money because I'm not going to get very far if I keep losing money. <laughs> so that's how, that's how I got into real estate. I was bartending at the time and it was a good transition to have some money until you actually started making some real money in real estate. Steve, I really, I think that that's a pretty amazing progression from, you know, bartending to having your family be a mentor for you. Like that's kind of how AJ and I got into it a little bit. We always had our resource with our dad, who's kind of been a a landlord his whole life. And it makes the transition so much easier. I mean, it's funny enough, we're looking for leasing agents and it's, it's so impossible to find somebody. But if, you know, that like young investor who already has a little bit of fire and is interested in the business comes along, then that is such a great way to get into real estate by making a connection with some experienced investors. So I just think that that's, and especially in property management is is one of the best ways to learn the business. I'm definitely fortunate and blessed. And and I do think that luck is being at the right place at the right time. So Mm -hmm. I I didn't choose, choose that family, you know, kind of chose me. And then they, they didn't have to give me, you know, shot and and teach me things, but even if they felt obligated and I wasn't the right fit, it would not have worked out. And so I do say ex-father-in-law because the family didn't work out. So I no longer married to that wife and he's no longer married to her mom. So there is literally zero family connection anymore. But as we go along, if you want to hear more, I can tell you that that relationship is, has been severed as well. So I spent 10 years, you know, apprenticing under him. And I've also coached agents before. And there's one thing that, that really is, resounds loud when I'm coaching somebody, when I, when I hear it or when I see them excelling. Um, you can grow out of your coach. You can grow out of your mentor. There's a certain peak that, mm-hmm. that you're providing them and a certain peak that you're, you know, the, the recipient is receiving from them. And at a certain point, it has to break for people to grow. And that is that 10-year mark where I felt it was time to go. Interesting. Yeah. You've been in the business for 25 years, so you've kind of seen the ups and the downs. So how did you kind of, now that you've got all this experience, you've picked your niche, how did you kind of decide on, you know, running brokerage teams and running next home franchises? That is interesting because everything needs to be a challenge, right? It doesn't have to be a challenge, but everything needs to continue to motivate you. I will give you an example. When I realized I don't like contracting, painting a wall is the most boring thing. Forgive me if there's any painters out there. There's probably a lot of contractors that listen to this, but painting a wall is monotonous. And for me, I couldn't, I couldn't sit back and enjoy the finished product like somebody else could because I just really never wanted to finish that project. It was the same thing. So in, in real estate, it slowly became that way, right? And for those of you in property management, you know, there's, there's that. You learn that, you master that, you maybe can go on to something else. And so after managing, you know, mastering being an apprentice as a, a buyer's agent, I was a good buyer's agent. Then I switched over to adding sellers to my repertoire. But my passion at that point became investing. So really one of my favorite clients is working with an investor and showing them the puzzle pieces and, and how things work and how to avoid something that could be negative. And 
once you challenge and finish that challenge, when I was able to work for that national corporation, now I'm representing their clients, not just a real estate, but more of a, an advisor all over the United States and taking it from, you know, simple things like long-term cash flow investing to single family for appreciation to flips, which in my opinion is the hardest thing out there. So, and that one I have not mastered yet. So, but just needing more and more. Okay. So after that job ended in the recession, I became a mentor and a coach for a large company here in Portland. And that became you know rewarding until it was mastered and then go on out. So you can just, I just needed to continue to do it, but I'm a very loyal person. So it wasn't like I needed to, to leave a company and try a new thing. It was just, I had many years of 10 with, you know, Max father-in-law and six with that mentorship company and now six with Next Home. Being able to train new agents and coach them into being better people and letting them have, you know, their freedom to have their better lives. So Next Home is like a team of individuals, whereas before I ran a team of people that solely worked for me and we were trying to be the biggest and the best. And that has its place, but I wanted to enrich more lives than just people that work for me. I kind of want to dig into that just a little bit more because it's kind of either having like independent kind of brokers, real estate agents, as opposed to like this like team concept. Like, can you go describe more like how the team works and then maybe even like how the progression of how you started to develop that team? Okay. Just from like where Uh, it kind of started to where you kind of ended with it. Right, right. So as a team member, when I worked for a team, you know, there was a, we call them the rainmakers or the team leaders, the person that's name is the one that everyone is gravitating towards. Today has been a lot more focus on group names, you know, but usually you just work for one person. And there were, you know, several different buyers agents, three or four. And then we had several different listing specialists, kind of, usually the, the team leader was that. But we also had three transaction coordinators and lender partners. It was a big team. It was at the 2005 in 2006, that team was about 15 people. And so I was the number two behind the team leader on the team for you know production. But watching how you can systemize the transaction was where I learned that. This person can do the paperwork. This person can do the marketing. This person can do the lead generation. This person can do. So I realized early on a habit that other people have a hard time figuring out, which is letting go of control. So a lot of agents who run their own businesses don't really want to give up something. I was never born with that. I was born into the team. And frankly, it would scare me if I had to manage all the parts of the transaction. There's so many of them that I would realize maybe I'm not good at that and it's slowing me down. So fast forward to when I was mentoring, there's a mentoring, you know, large group of people, maybe about 25 people. And I realized that after a few years of, of doing that and helping them, you can only help some people some of the times and the other, the other people are only going to get as far as they want to go. And I wanted to really now do something at a faster scale. So I asked a couple of the agents that I was mentoring, I said, how would you like to end this relationship and begin a new relationship? Which means I'm no longer like counseling you through your problems. We're going to work together on the same people at a different pace. And then I would leave my job as a mentor so I could focus full-time on that. And so I started the team with a couple of buyer's agents, a transaction coordinator, and myself, you know, bringing in, bringing in leads. And the way I was bringing in leads at that point in time, this was true recession, like 2010, 
was past clients that were hurting. So had a great 10 year run and now they were hurting and they wanted help. How do I get out of the home? So I think about half of our business was short sales. It was never a business I wanted to get into, but it just came to me and I needed help. And for every short sale that sat on the market for six months, they had a lot of buyers. And so we needed more buyers agents. So that's how we kind of divided that team up. I would bring in these sellers of past clients, the, the transaction coordinator would process the paperwork. Between her and I, in the beginning, we would negotiate the short sale, but eventually we had to bring on the short sale coordinator. And then there wasn't a lot of marketing in 2010 for short sale products, you know, so we did all really, over the place. <laughs> well, just saying that there were, they weren't always sexy, right? There was never yeah. anything happy about it. The homeowners didn't want to fix up the home because it wasn't worth anything. Frankly, a lot of them didn't want to show the home. So here we are trying to build wonderful, beautiful marketing to try to attract people. And it just, uh-huh. it just wasn't happening. So what I'm saying is I didn't learn that marketing skill set, you know, at that time, but just sort of swimming. We were just trying to swim to stay alive in, in that time because about a third of the short sales would even get approved. So if I had 30 listings, which I did at that time, like we'd be lucky if 10 of them would get approved and it took a year to do. And the other ones either would go to foreclosure or something else negative would happen. So it was a rough, rough time. But that's kind of how I began that particular team. They, what they did was for the team. What I did was for, for the team. But the hierarchy was that the more money they made, the more the team leader made. And you run into the system of if I'm not providing them with enough, then it's not enough for them to want to stay. Or if they're providing more that you're giving them, then they're going to they're going to leave you. And it's okay when somebody reaches, like I said, that that growth point where they want to go. But it's not okay if they get to a point where they say, "This is not a win-win situation. I think I'm helping you, or you need me more than I need you." And that's where the team concept, in my opinion, was a constant nag in the back of my head, saying, mm-hmm. "What am I going to do today to make sure that my people are fed?" And that's just an endless task. I mean, I, I do that still today with and you will too, if you own your own business, you know, you know that people rely on you, but when it was in that relationship where it was so easy for them to, to leave, it was hard to train to find somebody new again. So that is when we decided, Hey, we're breaking up the team and we're opening up our brokerage that will function like the team, but in a win-win situation, you get to now have the same things that you had before but the company now is ours and the leads that you get are yours. The leads that I give you could be half mine and half yours. And everyone seems to be happy. And I don't have to worry about growing from five people to 25 or 45 people and have some of them think, Hey, this is not a win-win. Most everybody thinks it's a, it's a win-win now. That's a great progression. And, you know, it's succinct uh, kind of like idea of, of how a team functions. So I pr- appreciate that. I know that some of our listeners are real estate brokers out there and maybe like thinking like, do I want to join a team or do I want to be out on my own or do I even want to start a team? So I know that those like the three kind of options, right? Yeah. I mean, they're basically as you are on your own, you know, solo being wearing every hat. You are either working on a team or you are the team, you know, leader and you have different jobs within that. But then the third, you know, the third options are being an employee. 
which, you know, there are some companies out there that just say, you want to work in real estate, we will pay you an hourly wage or a salary. And that, that is happening right here in our city. And I personally don't know if it is the right, sometimes I think it might be the right way to get into real estate, but then you want to go on your own. Otherwise it's just a job. And most of the people that are attracted to real estate, it's two words, right? It's I want freedom and I want, you know, to make as much money as possible. (laughs) And unfortunately, (laughs) if you are working as an hourly employer salary, it isn't quite freedom, right? You, You have a job, you have to show up and do it. But most people wanted to have the skies of the limit. There's no, there's no stopping me. I can, I can do as much as I want when I want. Well, if you aren't working because you have too much flexibility, then you're not going to get to that sky's the limit. You'll, you'll get out of it what you put it into it. So I always tell a new person, yes, you're right. That's what everyone says. You will get to work part-time all of the time. Part-time <laughs> all of the time. <laughs> I like that. I was going to ask, like, what are, what are some things like you as a, a coach or a mentor do to motivate your people to, you know, like it's a lot of times picking up the phone. What are some of the things that you go through with them? In the past, it was holding them accountable to, you know, how many people they're adding into their database, right? And that's what, you know, we did as, as, a, as a coach where you met once a week and you said, what is, what is the focus this week going to be? You know, if they were new, they had to try a bunch out until they figured out which one they liked, if they were focusing on, you know, a FISBO or their own sphere or something like that. And then we would talk about the conversation they were adding to their database. And that, you know, again, that becomes rewarding when you see it take off. And it also becomes, you know, disappointing when the person shows up without any results. And really, they do show up with something and they show up with excuses. That's why they didn't get any results. But because this is more individuals now, the, the people that we are coaching and training is not in that high level of accountability, crack that with, you're never going to be anything if you don't go out and do this. It's more of a, what do you want to be? You know, what, where, where is it that, what level do you want to be at? How much do you want to work and how much do you want to make? And then we decide, this is what you have to do to do it. You're going to have to give up one. It might be a pendulum swing. You can't always have, you know, your cake and eat it too. But most of what we are doing for motivating is, is trying to create culture. And I really think that's important. If most people are extroverts in this business and most people are in that safe and secure type of environment, right, they aren't necessarily self-motivated and driven that much. Usually the smaller percentage of people that may look on the outside as extroverts, they're more introverts. That's where they really, they, it's, it's a struggle for them to get out and be an extrovert. But the rest of the time, they are dr- driving themselves. You know, they're motivating themselves. Those people don't survive in this type of environment where we're trying to create culture. So we like to do events. We like to do in-person things. Unfortunately, right now we can't, but we do, do a lot of Zooms and things like that where we're trying to create that positive environment. If you are positive, if you are if you are present and authentic where you want to be, if you, this is where you want to be, then you will be able to make more things happen. And that's all we're trying to do. We do multiple meetings a week. But as far as one-on-one basis go, we just have smaller masterminds as opposed to me sitting down for one hour with each agent like the old days. When you say like smaller masterminds, is that like groups of like three to five or like what, how does that work? Three to five. Yeah. 
And do you have like a topic that you pick or you guys just kind of round table? It's done once a week and it is meant to start out as a round table because I want them to bring their topics to me in order for me to coach them where they are. What is bothering you right now? Usually it has to do with conversion and usually it has to do with a situation that they're in at the moment. So dealing with the, you know, rough seller or, or nasty inspection report. And if I can help them overcome that situation in front of others, the others are just learning at the same time. And frankly, being a reviewing broker, I'm I'm not anymore. We have that hired out, but it used to have to answer the same question five different times, right? So if somebody comes to me with a problem and I just help them resolve it, then the next, you know, four or five weeks, I'm, I'm talking to the same person that has the same problem. So masterminds usually try to start out with their topic. But every time you get on a webinar and you take the mutes off, everyone all of a sudden, you know, climbs up. So I usually have to start <laughs> with a topic and warm them up. And the, and the topics are anything from an inspirational idea to, you know, get out there in the business. We take a lot of stuff from the Inman News. We take a lot of stuff, a book called Seven Levels that Michael Mayer wrote. Those types of concepts, I really do think that realtors can find ways to lead generate with their own sphere meeting people they don't know that and not having to spend a lot of money buying the leads and not having to do lots of cold calling so that is one of the things that we do on the mastermind tomorrow's topic is going to be safety and how to keep safe so no one's going to get all excited about jumping out there and making money being safe but they're going to be excited to not be stuck in a situation where they're in danger so that's tomorrow's meeting. <laughs> By the time this airs, it'll already be over. <laughs> yeah. So Steve, you made the transition from team to you know running your own franchise. And you mentioned some of the benefits of running the franchise, such as you know, you're you don't feel like you have to feed all of your, you know, teammates under you. So what are some of the other benefits of running the franchise? And then what are, what are some of the, I guess, downsides or pitfalls? Number one, remember I said culture. And so the, the benefits is adding new agents to the company. Usually, you know, there's a, a desk fee. And so that's the upside of being able to have your own business is that agents, agents are providing you with that auxiliary income. But because of culture, Agents sometimes leave, and that's the saddest part. That's the hardest part is when you do part ways with somebody. And are they going to say it gets easier? Sure, maybe they do. But for me to want to build a culture where everyone wants to stay, even if they have to leave because they say, listen, this wasn't the right business for me, and my old job offered me another way to come back, part of me does feel like, what did I do? Did, did I not give you enough tools to, to stay? So that is you know, the pro that I think is easy because it goes along with culture. When they are succeeding and they like reward you with, with some of their success, that's some of the best feelings. You know, when, when somebody reaches that all-time goal, maybe they wanted to just close $5 million that year because some agents that you know, want to make, you know, 350000 bucks next year. You know, they, everybody has a certain goal that you want to help them reach. And when they do, that's super rewarding. Paperwork, not my favorite. So having, you know, to open your own brokerage, you start out as a reviewing broker. Typically, you don't quite have enough, you know, to have that outsourced out. 
So the headache behind that, we've been audited twice already, luckily, both times. So far, so good. But didn't want to have to ever go through that, you know, when I didn't have to go through that when, when you're on your own. The buck stops here mentality is the truth because your company can't, doesn't go any higher until you get to the agency. So it was very, very nice to have a, a problem situation where you went to your reviewing broker at another company and just said, help, and they provided you the help. You have to have that experience and be able to help them. Otherwise, they're not going to stay. So that is one of the things I enjoy doing. If I didn't have to sell any other properties for the rest of my career and just helped answer questions to keep people's money in their pocket rather than having sales sales, that would be my ideal job. Um, I think that might have answered it. I would, yeah. One more thing I'll, I'll comment on. <laughs> had made the decision to go franchise versus independent. My fear was... It was just going to continue to get more and more expensive to compete up with to compete with technology as an independent. And then if you were having agents that wanted to come work for you, you have to provide them with that same technology. The franchise just sort of puts that together. So, you know, next time is not the only and the best franchise. Oh, I personally love it. There are franchises out there that you can buy and that are going to allow you to have the same freedoms that you have of your own team and then have the technology that is on a higher tech level without you having to pay you know, through the nose for every agent that you add on, blah, blah, blah. So that is a huge factor in the, the franchise. That does sound like one of the, the really nice benefits. So what is your goal with Next Home and, you know, your franchises? What are you working towards? Yeah, it's not a huge secret here. You know, we want to create a locally owned, you know, boutique office that has sort of an open office experience but keep it boutiques, which means small, you know, no closed doors mentality. And to grow that concept, it would need to be in you know, different locations. And so I don't want to open more and more and more because of the expanding mentality. But what I do want is if agents that work for me say, one of my goals is to own a franchise. I would like to help them grow in that way. And then it would be an umbrella of, you know, the reviewing brokers and the mentorship and the trainings and that kind of stuff that we bring. So just to have more smaller offices that kind of work together, but are still boutique and they're still small and, and have that, you know, high level touch. I like that model. One thing that Chris and I have done recently is we've started partnering with our brokers on investment properties and it's gone, mm. it's gone very well. It's been you know, a great experience where we're the mentors for them, providing the knowledge on like how to get the renovations done, how to get through the whole financing, like the whole steps to go through, like, you know, a whole fourplex renovation and all that. And then, I mean, at the end, you know, get it refinanced and rented out and, and be able to keep it. And it's been really fun. But I think that's kind of the, a little bit of the same concept of like opening up another branch with someone and partnering with them. And you know, providing that mentorship to them. I, I think it's a, a great model to, to bring on and, and be that coach for someone like you've, you've done the work before, you know how to do it, you know, like what goes into it. And, you know, that is a great amount of value when it comes to doing it rather than just like starting out and doing it yourself to sometime down the road. Right. 
even when you put your skin in the game, the other side feels a lot more comfortable. So that's another another way to look at it. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, you're providing, you know, might be that the, the content, you know, of some of these meetings and these trainings. And I remember when I was working in the Bay Area with the national corporate investor firm, a colleague of mine said, you know, what if we just developed sales meetings for independent brokers across the country and we'd just record them and we'd put them in, you know, online and then we'd send it to them once a week. So they would have, you know, content every single week. And we wanted to call it sales meeting in a box. It's a great idea. He's a huge entrepreneur. He probably would have pulled it off. I was more fighting it because I think that sales meetings for real estate need to also be local. And you just can't, you know, say, here's what's happened across the country and have them feel like they're part of it. So there needs to be organic local content in a meeting that you're having with your agents, as well as what's going on around the country. Because what's going on around the country could be a wave and it's coming your direction and you're ahead of it, but you definitely need to have it local. So that I fought him on that. But what I'm getting at here is if, if other people want to, you know, have some more ownership of their own agents and their own agency, but they're missing a component like the reviewing broker, like a transaction coordinator, or like how do I motivate them with the meeting? These are things that we would also be able to offer as a partnership because we would have the sales meeting. They wouldn't just plug and play because now we do everything on Zoom, but it would be like round robin. Our, our sales meeting is now held in the, in the Vancouver office or our sales meeting is now held in the Progress Ridge office or our sales meeting is now... You know, and, and people would go there, but they could also do it virtually anywhere else, either at another office or at home. Yeah. Steve, so what are some of the, I mean, you, you mentioned like what the sales meetings need to be local, but you also need to be aware of national trends. Can you give us an example of what you might mean just in, in general, like with local, whether you're just yeah. talking you know, how long properties are staying on market on average or? It's way more than that. And, and I don't mean to oversell it because yeah. those of you have probably been to my <laughs> sales meetings, like it's not that special. We will talk about the local economics. Okay. So it is not just about real estate stats of today. The days on market is down three days and next week it's up four days. We will talk about that. We do want to recognize trends. I take trends off of RMLS and I take them off of Altos. I take them off of TMOs. I take them off my own tracking. So I actually track one metrics throughout every week since the beginning of the COVID, which is how many active homes per week are there versus how many pending homes are a week. And then just graph it and just watch that thing move. And it's pretty important to see that trend if we do cross that line. Because when are we headed towards a buyer's market and the end of the seller's market? But it's more than that. It's more like, all right, the Portland Economic Division has decided that they're going to pave over I-5 corridor. What does that mean? Or, or you're going to have a new freeway or new airport coming in your backyard. What does that mean to your clients in this area? We focus on the entire metro area because people live from our office. People are virtual and they live all over the city. And so we want everyone to know. It's not uncommon for a West Side agent to pick up a buyer that wants to be in Happy Valley, and they're going to say yes to that. But they aren't quite clear on what Happy Valley has to offer. And if we're able to provide them that in sales meetings about here's some jobs that are closing, here's a new company that's moving in, here's a brand new store on Trader Joe's that's converting over from this, the old Thriftway right in Garden Home. Like if you're showing a house in that neighborhood and you know that a new store is popping in 
that is going to provide them with more value to their clients than, than anything. So that's the local compared to the national. The national news we're going to talk about normally would just be what is Fannie Mae's projections for the next, you know, for the end of the year? What does you know, global economy mean? What does, you know, the meaning of the debt ceiling, you know, mean to all of us? What are presidential administrations doing that's going to impact our career? The NAR lawsuit, the class action lawsuit, all those things could change. And do we need to pivot? Do we need to play defense? Or do we just need to focus on what we're doing? Don't let this be a distraction. Intel says they're going to lay off. But you know what? They lay off, you know, this amount of people every 10 years. This one's okay. Go focus on what you're doing. And don't you don't need to have a defensive script. But hopefully everything that we talk about is giving them a 15-second elevator pitch for any new situation that comes up as opposed to always saying the same thing. I don't know. Let me check on that. That's a good question. Let me check on that. <laughs> I'll get right back to you. I'll get right back to you, right? So if you're, if you're prepared, you're prepared. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think we are getting low on time here. So let's move on to our last four questions. And I will start off with the first one. Steve, what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? That one is easy. 25-year-old self was making good money for being 25 and saying, I have this paycheck. This is my income and not saving it, right? Just literally spending. And every time I spend a paycheck, I realize I just make more. I'll just go make more. And it came to bite me later that you aren't saving enough for taxes. So that's it. Where does taxes? It's a serious thing that agents probably that aren't really good at making a budget or aren't really good at saving. But for me, it was too much money all at one time. You hear about poor people, or not poor people, sorry. You hear about people that are in maybe a celebrity or they just hit fame right away, sports, you know, athletes. And you, you hear about them getting into trouble right away because it's too much money. They don't know how to manage it. So in that industry, there's a lot of, you know, financial planners that do help take care of them. Like, don't, you can't touch your money until I tell you what to do, which is good for them now. But there's not that in, in real estate. Now, we're not making millions of dollars like, you know, a professional athlete. It doesn't matter. It scales back down. And so for myself, I wish I'd had, had that. Now, I did have people tell me, but I would have been better off if someone just kept my money and says, here's all you get to play with. You'd have been better off if you'd listened a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, I'm listening. I just wasn't, I wasn't diligent enough about doing it. Yeah. Or, you know, I've heard of other people, you know, since then where they, they write a check and then they just keep it in a drawer. And they know that that check is, is for, you know, the IRS or anything else. I mean, it's also another way to save money. So I wasn't really good at saving money, you know, but I kept feeling like, you know, the more I invested in real estate, it was like a savings account anyway, until the market crashed in 2007. So, Yeah. 2007, 2008, those were rough times. <laughs> Savings uh, account dis disappeared those, those years. Okay. So you were 23 when you got into real estate, but did you do anything before that? What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? No, no, I didn't do anything entrepreneurial before that. I was a bartender and absolutely loved that job. <laughs> there are times that maybe my next entrepreneur will be to have a restaurant where I'm the host bartender. I get to come back in just for one night a week, you know, that would be 
That would be awesome. Now, I'm afraid to invest in restaurants, uh, especially since the pandemic, but even before that, I'm just uh, afraid they're, they're a loss of money, but unless you know what you're doing. No, I don't consider myself a big entrepreneur. You know, the working for a team and being loyal and having security, which, which is ironic because here I was, you know, spending money at Reckless Abandon, but I liked that security of being able to go back into that job and they knew there was more money to, to make their entrepreneurial I means starting your own endeavors had risk. And I, I, even though I was kind of creative and came up with some ideas, I just wasn't ready to pull them off. I needed, needed more, maybe, maybe confidence. I, I don't know. So I think my, my first endeavors, you've heard of them already, just, you know, starting my own team or starting my own company, even when I took the job in San Francisco, I felt for me that that was a huge leap of faith and a huge risk. And I thought I was a risk taker, but no, I was guaranteed a W2 salary to go you know, down there and had a, had a rental car to real, or not real car, but you know, everything was taken care of for me. It wasn't that big of a risk. So I'm not a, I'm kind of risk averse, you know, that's it. Sorry. Right. That was more. Yeah. No, no, it's great. It's all maybe good maybe making making fake IDs and in, in college, there's, you know, that might have been first. There's there's room for the risk averse in real estate. <laughs> all right. Next question. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Oh, that's a good question. So I appreciated all of these questions that you teed up for me because it made me think, you know, and I wanted to really say something, you know, profound, but I think that the formal training is essentially just able to teach you how to dissect a problem without being overwhelmed, you know, being able to want to learn to grow. So read or grow or go, go to even more classes to learn to grow. Because frankly, I wouldn't, right? Frankly, if it was, I just don't enjoy that kind of stuff. So having to be forced to do it before and then continue to know that you that it did make a difference that you need to continue to do it so you can grow, help other people grow and, and, and overcome some of the bigger problems by dissecting them. It, real simply, like dissecting problems in, in real estate, the harder stuff is really math, you know, getting beyond the financial, you know, portion of it. It's not just how much is this loan going to cost, but you need to know that. Then how much, if you're dealing with investors, how much is this, you know, going to cash flow after taking out all of these expenses and then simply trying to figure out the return on that money, the net operating income, tons of that kind of stuff. I probably wouldn't happen without formal education, but the informal to me is more that street smarts that I think has, has helped me. And from being on a team that was very successful in 2004, five and six made me feel like I learned at the speed of light, right? Right now, agents that are working alone are basically trying to learn from their own mistakes or learn from their own transactions and maybe hearing tidbits about other people's transactions. But intimately working on that was like being thrown in to the deep end and it being able to swim. So again, that's kind of where I would like my masterminds to be is to give them that on the job training that I definitely had. So I think it's even more pivotal, pivotal to have that on the job training. Yeah. Street smarts and learning from other people's mistakes is by far one of the profitable. (laughs) It's one of the best ways to learn. And like that's AJ and I are always saying, you know, you're not going to learn 
what you need to know to be a top performer in a classroom. So that's why that's such a good question. All right. And our final question, what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? That's a good segue, huh? Learning from other people's <laughs> mistakes, but how do you tell us what yours is? <laughs> this, one, this one also made me have to dig so deep and, you know, I just couldn't think of anything that, that I thought would be the biggest mistake. And so I wasn't sure how to answer it. Was it, you know, you know, making that left turn a long time ago, you know, marriage number one, who knows? But I thought of two ones that cost money and, you know, when you make a mistake in, in life, it can humble you. But I think when you lose money, that's the most humbling, right? And so, I mean, not everyone has to know about it, but that I was trying to think of mistakes that were, were maybe financial, you know, hanging on to too many properties during the recession was a big mistake. If I would have let them all go and not, you know, not try to write them out, I kept thinking the recession was going to be shorter than it was. So that was kind of devastating a big mistake of over leveraging my investments and then trying to be the nice guy. I wanted to do what was right. I was watching everybody else walk away from their homes and for, let them go to foreclosure. And I thought, no, 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 I am going to preserve my credit. I'm going to keep going down, sinking down with this ship. And I think that might've been the biggest mistake. I probably would have cut and run early, cut bait early if I'd seen that writing on the wall or perhaps been smarter about not over leveraging with my investments, meaning just growing too fast, buying too many, not doing some of the homework on it, and then getting stuck with the, not without a chair at the end of the musical chairs. You know, this is kind of what I, mm. what I think. Yeah, I've, I've made some other, you know, bad investments, you know, so I think in real estate, even flipping or long-term, trying to put all of your eggs in one basket is, is not the smartest thing, right? It does need to be diverse, just like any other sort of you know, portfolio. So the point is, is that I think about the majority of your investments are going to be average. Then a small portion are going to be really good. And then one, one you're going to lose money on. And so if you're just trying to invest in one property, you know, you're going to likely end up in that average return. You're not going to always hit the home run. But you also have the same amount of risk of hitting that hitting that doozy that's going to lose you money. So you need to invest in more, as much as you can, to avoid having. Or to, you're trying to find the home run, but if you're always looking for the home run, you kind of never invest. I see a lot of investors like that. They're waiting for the home run, waiting waiting for the home run, and they don't seem to do it. Yeah, Steve, that's another one of the things that AJ and I always try and touch on is just like acting. And taking that risk, honestly, is almost more important because of what you'll learn from going through that experience than it is, you know, trying to find the diamond in the rough, the, the home run that you're talking about. Like, just trying to find one that's average is going to be great. And if the timing is right, you know, if the market's going up, you know, then it'll turn out to be a home run. Or, you know, if the market's not going against you, well, good thing you didn't invest in 20 properties and have the market going <laughs> against you. But the thing that AJ and I have learned is that just diving in and doing that first deal, we took away just so much knowledge and experience from it that it made all of the subsequent deals easier. So right. 
get get your feet wet though that first one and then then it can be a little bit easier after that hopefully mm-hmm. hopefully that first one goes well because it, it could change it could change a lot of a lot of people you know a lot, a lot of times that happens with the flips the I, first didn't, deal they get the- I didn't make money on my first deal yeah. <laughs> you're, lucky, you're lucky you're lucky you still stayed in because some people don't make that money on that first deal and they don't ever do it again and i'm like well you kind of have to do 10 of them and you're going to find out which ones are the, the average and which ones are the home runs. Yeah. I think it also goes back to that coaching and that mentorship too. If you have those people around you that have done it before and you're bouncing stuff off of them, you're certainly going to be more likely to not lose as much money or in all likelihood make more money. So the people need that confidence, you know, that extra, you know, support. And there has been times, at least two times where, somebody was a little hesitant about a transaction. I said, this is, this is a really good deal. I know you don't believe me, but I'm telling you it is. And if you don't buy it, I will. And, I <laughs> and you bought a couple of those. <laughs> I bought a couple of those. And I You've wasn't wrong. Too. Yeah. I wasn't wrong. But the, what, the last thing you want to do is go back to your clients. Look at, see what you left, you know, see what you've missed out on. It was more in, along the lines of, if you don't feel comfortable with this, I want you to trust me on the next one. And that is the case. So that's what you do, but without mm. trying to flaunt it in their face, like you, you messed up, but they definitely want to know that, that you didn't get burned because then they would say, I'm right now you have to know, right now. I can't believe you at all. So somehow they have to know that you didn't get burned. Yeah. Well, Steve, I uh, just want to say thank you for coming on the show. If our listeners yeah. want to get a hold of you or get in contact with you, what's the best way that they should reach out? Email at steve at nexthomepdx.com. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks Good so much, Steve. It was great. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.